Hey, what's going on, family? We made it to uh, gather at least one night this week. Let me get set up. Hopefully a few of you can uh, join us tonight. We'll see what we get. If not, you can always go back, of course, and watch it later on if you're unable to make it live tonight. All right, I see there's two people on. I just don't know who you are. Say something to me. Let me know who's hanging out with us tonight. Okay, I see you here, Michelle. I'm here. Well, thank you. Glad you can make it. I know. Hey, Ricardo. I'm glad you can make it as well, bro. Yep, I uh, I decided, you guys know, I decided to take off this week so I could be with my wife for our uh, anniversary, which is on Friday, knowing that in any other circumstance I would have been somewhere spending time with my wife, so I thought it'd be good to do, but we didn't plan on doing anything, and now we might do something this weekend, which means I might not be able to do Monday, and I definitely didn't want to miss three days in a row. So I said, babe, are you okay with me getting on tonight in case I need to not be here for Monday? So this is, this is why I'm on. Jonathan, good to see you, bro. Hope you and your uh, wife are doing well. Yeah, I was supposed to be taking off, bro, just to be with the fam, but I don't want to miss Monday as well uh, in case I do have to miss. So uh, my wife said, go ahead and get on tonight in case I have to, um, in case we leave and do something this weekend, which we'll see. We're, we're not even sure what we're going to do. I hope you guys are doing well. I'm excited. Of course, I <laughs> enjoy being with you uh, guys. So um, actually, Ricardo, I was praying for you this week and really decided if you could message me um, privately, I'd love to just talk with you and get to know you a little bit more. As I'm praying for some of the stuff you've brought up, um, yeah, I thought, why not spend some time talking with you? Tell her I said hello. So we'll give folks um, just a, another minute or two. Again, people not knowing or expecting me to be on. I'm not sure who will make it tonight, but I do want to uh, share. So last... Uh, what, Wednesday when we were together, we were talking about, uh, well, I guess I wait and recap when people get here. I don't want to do too much too fast. And it was, uh, I think we made a decision like, I don't know, two hours ago or something, two or three hours ago. So uh, just trying to pick up where we left off last week. And thank you guys for hanging out. Um, as always, you guys know if you need to leave or if you miss for some reason, you can always go back and watch the videos. And Michelle Wade has done an incredible service to all of us. She takes these, um, all of our studies and puts them uh, on pastorT.com, a website that she's created for us. 
and then you can download the notes um, like PDF format um, you can listen on YouTube and somebody let me know who was it I don't know who it was now maybe happy let me know she was listening on Spotify there's different platforms you can get access to some of this um, teaching it's incredible to me uh, little old me in here trying to walk through the word and then people with gifts like Michelle has figured out how to share it all over the place so thank you Michelle I know you know I'm very grateful for you and one of the great things about it is for me I get to go back and I have access to those notes now so that's a blessing for me well let me pray and then we'll jump into our time tonight Father, we thank you for blessing us with another day and another opportunity to experience you and the world you've allowed us to um, to live in. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to keep our eyes centered and focused on you. Uh, I ask that you would um, meet us in this time tonight. We know that you are already here, um, but I pray that you would make yourself known and you reveal yourself to us as we meet as we open your word, as we dive into truth that might be new or different or challenging on, on many nights, I pray that you would speak to us, that the Holy Spirit would uh, allow us to hear and to receive. And I just invite you to speak in and through me. Uh, use me, Lord, for your glory and to share truth uh, with brothers and sisters tonight and those who might even watch at a, a later time. Lord, I also pray against the enemy and his desire to distract and to steal, kill, and destroy. Lord, I know that he doesn't want truth to go forth, so I pray your hand over our time tonight. Ask the angels to encamp all around us, that you give us favor uh, with technology, and that you use this time for your glory. I pray that you be pleased with what we say and do and that you would receive this as a sweet smell and aroma. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so um, last week where we were was we basically um, talked about religion versus the gospel. And I painted this picture for us, and I tried to show us that there's a, a vast difference between religion and the gospel. They are not the same. We are, uh, we can easily be deceived or confused or believe that they are the same, but they're really not. Religion is man's attempt to get to God. So the way I painted the picture is imagine us all at the base of a mountain and we're working really hard to climb that mountain to get to God. That's religion. It's man's attempt to get to God. Well, the gospel um, is the, the message that tells us that God actually came down that mountain in the person of Jesus to be with us at the base of the mountain. And then through the power of the Holy Spirit, he gives us what we don't have to actually make it back up the mountain. So the two are not the same. We talked about that last week. And I, and I, I tried to paint a picture. Uh, Michelle uploaded this religion versus the gospel uh, document for you guys to have. And here's what it said. Uh, under religion and gospel, it says it's law versus faith, 
It's you versus Jesus. It's your works versus God's grace. It's the flesh versus the spirit, the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the spirit. And I obey, therefore I'm accepted. Uh, when I do good and everything God wants me to do, then God will accept and love me versus God already loves and accepts me. Therefore, I obey. So that was all last week. We were trying to show the difference between religion and the gospel, that they're not the same. And we went over a whole bunch of passages that um, I know some of you were like, man, uh, that was a whole bunch. And I told you. When we come back next week, I'll spend more time uh, walking through that a little bit slower, spending more time on some of those scriptures. But I wanted to expose you to the difference between religion and the gospel. And as we talked about our works um, versus grace and the spirit and law and all that stuff that we talked about, we had been talking about holiness that we talked. We started this whole series talking about purging, getting rid of things in our lives. Asking God to search us, removing that which doesn't need to be there. We used the cup. We said that um, we want God to fill us. We want our vessel to be full of the Holy Spirit, which means we need to get rid of things to make more room for God. And so we talked about purging. And then we said uh, part of purging is pursuing God, sincerely seeking him with all of our hearts. And then this reality that God has called us to live holy lives. And we walk through a good amount of scriptures that says, we're not living holy because we want to earn God's approval, his love or affection. He's already given us that and he calls us and sees us as holy. And now we want to live in line with the way he sees us. In fact, we God is holy, so his children must also be holy. But that can only happen, we said, when you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. You cannot pull that off by your own effort. We said the Holy Spirit is there to give us what we don't have to live holy lives. We even talked about Romans chapter six, which says we died when Christ died. And now we have resurrection power that we might live new lives, that we can be new creations with a power that we didn't have before, that God actually comes and lives inside of you and I. And then we closed last week, ultimately talking about the difference between religion and the gospel and, and grace and, and Jesus doing all the work. I want to talk about how because of the gospel, there is no judgment. Yes, you heard me right. I'll, I'll try hard to clarify. Don't jump ahead of me. Let me fully unpack it. But because of the gospel, there is no judgment for those who are in Christ. So I want to talk about that tonight. But first, I want us to go back to where we've already been. And that's going to be starting in uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And again, I'm just going to blaze over some of these scriptures as I, the goal tonight is to talk about judgment, condemnation, how that whole thing works itself out. But before we do that, because we've had a couple days off, we want to go to Ephesians chapter two, starting in verse eight, and we want to be reminded of the gospel. All right, you ready to rock and roll? Ephesians chapter two, starting in verse eight, it says, I'm reading from New Living Translation. We've got a good amount of reading. Uh, sometimes, a lot of times I'm reading from NIV. Tonight I'm doing NLT. It says, God saved you by his special favor when you believed. So we could spend the whole night right there. Salvation, how does it work? God saved you and I when we believed. Not when we did anything good or figured it all out or became perfect, but when we believed. And you can't take credit for this. 
It is a gift from God. We don't get to take credit. We can't boast. We can't point to anything that we have done to be saved. It's a gift from God. Verse 9 tells us, Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Let that sink in. Salvation, when you become a Christian, when you get saved from God's judgment, restored to him, uh, reconciliation, redemption, all these ideas of coming back to God. Notice what it says. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. It's not because you were so good that God gave you. Even that thinking is a religious idea. Verse 10 is where we're going to close says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that that's a purpose statement. We can do the good things planned for us long ago. So this is what we were talking about all last week, that salvation is a gift. We don't do anything to earn it or deserve it. God gives it to us graciously and we receive it um, by faith. Then we also say once we receive that salvation, we get the Holy Spirit. Now we can do the good things God desired for us. So, yes, there is still work to do. There's there's a transformation. There's all this stuff that happens, but it's uh, coming as a fruit of the spirit and the work of God in and through us not to earn or win salvation. We also look at let's go to uh, Romans chapter three. We spent a lot of time there. Maybe you if you forgot, maybe you'll remember when we get there. Romans chapter three, where we have on time. Romans three. We're going to start in verse 10. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 10, says, As the scriptures say, you guys remember this, no one is good, not even one. No one has real understanding. No one is seeking God. All have turned away from God. All have gone wrong. No one does good, not even one. Their talk is foul like the stench from an open grave. Their speech is filled with lies. The poison of a deadly snake drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They are quick to commit murder wherever they go. Destruction and misery follow them. They do not know where true peace is. They have no fear of God to restrain them. Then it says, obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to bring the entire world into judgment before God. Okay, so uh, John 16, uh, starting verse 8, talks about the Holy Spirit has this task of convicting the world of their sin. He convicts people, makes them aware that they are sinners. Well, right here it's saying that not only the Holy Spirit does that, and John it tells us, um, the Word of God, allows people who know the word of God to realize that they aren't doing it. That's exactly what it says next. So Romans 3 verse 20 says, For no one can ever be made right in God's sight by doing what his law commands. For the more we know God's law, the clearer it becomes that we aren't obeying it. Basically, go study the word as much as you want. You will realize that you're not doing what God called you to do, or you're doing what he doesn't want you to do, that's part of being a sinner. <laughs> now, if you're saved, you've already realized this, and you've chosen not to try to do everything to be saved. You understand God's grace. Um, so 
verse 21 tells us, but now God has shown us a different way of being right in his sight, not by obeying the law, but by the way promised in the scriptures long ago. So all this we've gone over a couple of times, I'm just kind of recapping where the Bible is saying no one's good. No one has understanding. No one's really seeking God. Even if you have God's word, uh, you cannot do everything it says. And even if you could, you still would not be deemed righteous in the sight because there's still sin within you. And you've got to deal with that internal issue. Now, verse 21 says, but now God has shown us a different way. Realize not the same way that he was just talking about by obeying the law, but a different way of being right in God's sight. Remember, we said being right in God's sight is righteousness. It has to do with being in right standing, just like your your a, a account that you might have. You're in good standing. You're not in debt. You're, you're in good standing. You don't owe anything. When God looks at us, are we in his debt or are we in good standing? Are we righteous? Well, that depends on if sin is still there or not. How are you going to pay off that debt? It's a debt we could never pay. So it tells us we are made right in God's sight are righteous, our, our account is in good standing, when we trust in Jesus Christ to take away our sins. What is it that makes us right in God's sight? When we trust in Jesus Christ to take away our sins. And we can all be saved in the same way, no matter who we are or what we have done. Very powerful. Every person can be saved, no matter who they are or what they have done. Why is that? Because if they're putting their faith in who Jesus is and what he did, it doesn't matter what sins you've done. Jesus has paid for them. And that's why it says in verse 23, for all have sinned and all fall short of God's glorious standard. Everybody, nobody measures up. Yet now God in his gracious kindness declares us not guilty. Even though we are, he declares us not guilty. It says he has done this through Christ Jesus who has freed us by taking away our sins. There it is. Jesus has done the work. He's taken away our sins. For God sent Jesus to take the punishment for our sins and to satisfy God's anger against us. Yes, God was mad. We were his enemies. He was going to punish us and cast us away from him for eternity. Well, God sent Jesus to take our punishment, to take our place. The wrath that God was going to pour out on us, Jesus stood in our place. And it says, we are made right in God's sight. When we believe that Jesus shed his blood, sacrificing his life for us. That's the way the story works. That we believe that we should have been punished because of sin, but Jesus took our punishment. Not that we did anything holy or righteous or, or, or anything that would honor God. In fact, it tells us, can we, verse 27 actually says, can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on our good deeds. It is based on our faith. And we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. I'm trying to show the difference between religion and the gospel. One says you have to obey the law. One says, nope, Jesus did it for you. Do you believe that? Then we jump to Romans chapter 4, verse 4. Romans chapter 4, verse 4. Again, sorry guys, this is all recap. Just want to catch us up because we've had so many days off. Romans chapter 4, verse 4 says, When people work, their wages are not a gift. Workers earn what they receive. We've talked about this a couple times. When you go to work, 
and your boss gives you a check, you don't say thank you for this gift. And your boss doesn't say, hey, I'm looking out for you. I got I got a gift for you. You say, nah, bro, I earned that. I worked for that paycheck, right? That's what you did. You earned that. That's what it's saying. Workers earn the wages they receive. It's not a gift. Verse 5 says, but people are declared righteous because of their faith, not because of their work. And then it's going to go into a whole history of how King David prophesied about this, again, in the Old Testament and understood that God would basically cover the sinners, that he would remove their sins as far as the east is from the west, that he would pay their debt, that he would provide a cleansing and a atonement for people who were in sin. Well, again, this is all recap. Let's do uh, one more, Colossians. And then we'll jump into tonight's time. Colossians chapter 1. It's always good to not only have a refresher, but constantly be reminded of the gospel that we're not working to win or earn God's approval, that Jesus has already done that work. And because we see the cost and the price that he paid, we want to honor and live for him as well as allow him to live in and through us and fulfill the reason he created us to be God's children, to be his image bearers, to look like him in the world. So Colossians 1, starting in verse 18, tells us Christ is the head of the church, which is his body. He is the first of all who will rise from the dead. So he is first in everything for God. Here it is. And all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And by him, God reconciled. He brought it back together, the relationship. He restored it. He fixed the broken relationship, reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth. How? By means of the blood on the cross. It was Christ's blood that allowed us to have a relationship with God again. That's the gospel that we preach. Now, look at what it says. As a result of that blood, 21 tells us that... As far as who was reconciled to God because of the blood, verse 21 says, this includes you. And of course, me, who were once so far away from God, you were his enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Verse 22 says, yet now he has brought you back as his friends. He has done this through his death on the cross in his own human body. As a result of Jesus dying for our sins, as a result. He has brought you into the very presence of God and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. When God sees you and me, he sees us as holy and blameless and righteous without one spot or speckle, one sin. He doesn't see anything on us. He sees us as holy, blameless, righteous without a single fault. Look at why. Because of that blood. 23 says, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand in it firmly. Don't drift away from the sure assurance you receive when you heard the gospel or the good news. The gospel or the good news has been preached all over the world. And I, Paul, have been appointed by God to proclaim it. So Paul is saying, I have been chosen by God to tell people this message that once you were God's enemy, you were separated him from him because of your sins. There is nothing you can do about that. But God sent his son to do what? To die for our sins. And now when God sees us, he sees us as holy and righteous 
and blameless without a spot or blemish or wrinkle or whatever your translation might say. He sees us as holy, not because we're so awesome, but because Jesus is and we're banking on his work. That's the difference between religion and the gospel. This is stuff we've already talked about. This is all recap. Now I want to go back to Romans and show you how it matters when it comes to judgment. Because this is probably one of the greatest misunderstandings that I hear from people all the time. Most people are um, afraid to come to God because they believe he, he's mad at them, he's angry at them, and he wants to destroy them. They know that they don't live up to God's standards. Uh, they know there's issues of sin in their life. And they feel like I need to clean up my life first before I come to God because he's not pleased with me the way I am. And that's because they're thinking from a religious viewpoint that they must make take themselves up the mountain. Not that Jesus came down the mountain to meet them right where they are. No matter who you are or what you have done, you can be saved by placing your faith in what Jesus has done. That's the gospel that Paul preached. That's the gospel that we preach. And a part of that gospel um, tells us that there is no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ. We're going to talk about that, but we're going to look at Romans. I want to look at chapter 7 first, just to give you a little bit more of the context. Of course, we don't have a, of course, I'm not, you know, my time, I talk too much. My time's always flying on me, but Romans chapter 7 is where I want to start. And guys, I hope this is making sense to you. Again, next week we'll talk about, we'll bring it all together about religion versus the gospel and condemnation or lack thereof, how that whole thing's worked. I'll try to make it clear because this is a huge gospel concept that a lot of people have never heard. Maybe you've never heard it. I hope that you receive it tonight and that you would begin to share it with other people. So um, let's go to Romans chapter seven. I want to go to Romans chapter seven, starting in verse 21. Romans chapter 7, starting at verse 21. You got to go back and read all of 7. You should have already read Romans because we went through so much of Romans and we were saying read it the whole time. But in 7, kind of in the middle section, uh, Paul toward the end, Paul begins to talk about this struggle. He talks about in chapter 6. You cannot live for God in your own power. You are a slave to sin. Now the Holy Spirit is coming to you. You've died to sin. You've been resurrected to now live for Jesus. You no longer have to do what sin wants you to do. Sin is no longer your master. You no longer have to obey it. It's now your choice, what you're going to choose. Then in chapter 7, he begins to talk about, even though I'm free from sin, somehow I'm still wrestling with these things. You have to go back and read all of that. Uh, I'm just going to, I'm going to read the end of what Paul's talking about. 21 says, it seems to be a fact of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. How many of us know that struggle? Verse 22 says, I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another law at work within me that is at war with my mind. Remember the Bible says, Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word transform is the Greek word metamorphosis, uh, which basically says you're going from a caterpillar to a butterfly. You're changing. How? By renewing your mind. Well, Paul's talking about right here, there's another law at work with his mind. And he says this law 
wins the fight and makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. So he's already talked about, I died to sin, I've been baptized, I've been resurrected, now I'm living for Jesus. But I'm still wrestling with the sin that is within me, and I don't always do what I want to do. And sometimes I do the very thing I hate. And then he, he ultimately says, if I'm doing what I don't want to do, am I the one really doing it? Or is it sin within me that's causing me to do this? Oh, and it gets real deep. And it's like, is he schizophrenic? Or how does this whole thing work? No, sin is real. And there's a battle that we all engage in. Anyway, 24, he says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin? Then he says, thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, he talks about being a slave to sin again. After he just said, you no longer have to be a slave to sin. Don't choose sin. Live for holiness. Wait, why are you still wrestling with this? Because that's a part of our human experience. That even though the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us, and I talk about holiness and purity and purging and living for God, which we need to do, we're still battling and wrestling. The process is called sanctification. God is making us more like Jesus. He's cleaning us up. He's transforming us. He's growing us up and maturing us to become more like Jesus. And we wrestle and fall and stumble along the way. Although we don't have to, we don't always choose the right things. And that's why in Romans chapter 8, this is what we really want to focus on for tonight, dealing with judgment. Uh, Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 1 says, after Paul just said, I'm still struggling with these sins that are inside of me. I don't always do what I want to do. Sometimes I do the very thing I hate. Who's going to free me from this life that's dominated by sin? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ. And then in verse 1 it says, so now... There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. A better translation would actually say, therefore. And I've told you guys that whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you have to ask, what is the therefore, therefore? And you have to figure out what proceeds. What did we just read about? Because now he's about to summarize it or bring it all together. So after no one's holy in verse 3, no one's good enough, no one's seeking God, God's created a new way in Christ Jesus. Chapter four, salvation is a gift. He starts talking about uh, Abraham and five and Mo, I mean uh, Adam and Jesus, like how they work. Chapter six, we died to sin. Chapter seven, we're still wrestling. Therefore, in eight verse one, he says, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now that might not mean anything to you unless you understand that condemnation means judgment. So Paul is talking about believers. He's not talking about unbelievers. He's talking about believers who have died to sin, resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit to live new lives, who find themselves still struggling with sin and not always doing what they want to do and sometimes doing what they don't. And then he says, therefore, now there's no condemnation. There's no judgment for those who belong to Christ Jesus. So if you are a believer and you find yourself struggling or you fall or anything like that, Paul is telling us, but there's no judgment for you. Then he goes on in verse two. He says, for the power of the life giving spirit has freed you through Christ Jesus from the power of sin that leads to death. 
The law of Moses could not save us. All the commands, there's 613 in the Old Testament. Those laws could not save us if you obeyed all 613 because of our sinful nature. But God put into effect a different plan to save us. He sent his own son in a human body like ours, except ours are sinful. God destroyed sin control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the requirements of the law would be fully accomplished for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. Now, when it talks about the requirements of the law, now you guys got to go back to we st when we started in the beginning and we were going through book by book and verse by verse. Uh, as we looked at Exodus, remember we talked about them setting up the tabernacle, and then we looked at Leviticus, and we talked all about the commands and laws and purity and holiness and offerings, and we went through all those. You have to go back and watch those videos uh, to see about the requirements and sin offering and atonement and all that. You can unpack all of that back then. All I want us to see tonight is what he just said in verse 1. God just said, Paul said, God said through Paul, if you are a believer in Christ Jesus, when you fall, when you sin, there is no condemnation. There's no judgment for a person who falls, sins, slips, or stumbles if they're in Christ. I, I just, I don't know how to park or camp there enough because I know you hear me, but I don't know if you are listening. If you're out there and you have ever struggled with sin as a believer, you believe in Jesus, you love him, you've given him your life, but you find yourself struggling like every single human does. The gospel tells us that there's no judgment for those who are in Christ. Now, you might be asking, how does that work? At least you should be asking that. It's because Jesus has died for all of our sins, our past sins, our present sins, and our future sins, the ones we haven't even committed yet, Jesus has already died for them. That's why in Colossians 1, it says when God sees us, he sees us as holy, perfect, blameless, and righteous. Now, as God sees us that way and declares us not guilty, then how is he ever going to look at us and judge or condemn us for sins that have already been paid for? Make sense? It's like you go in a store and you, you go into Starbucks and you grab a coffee and you pay for it and then you walk out and they want to charge you for it. No, you've already paid for this coffee. Well, not that there is no judgment on you. God already poured out his judgment on his son. Jesus already received the judgment for the sins that we are currently committing. He paid the price for those sins 2,000 years ago. Which means God can't condemn or judge us because he already judged Jesus for our sins, even the ones we'll commit tomorrow. That's why there's no condemnation. There's no judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, the world is so ignorant of this truth. They think that God is just looking, waiting to zap people because he's so angry and upset. Don't get me wrong. He very much was angry and upset. We were his enemies and there was a high price to be paid, but he poured out his wrath. All that anger was poured out on Jesus on the cross. 
in, in fact, I want to take you to uh, probably the most popular, I'm sure it is, uh, scripture in the Bible and see that it's already known. We just don't really know it. Let's go to John chapter 3. What time is it? The book of John. Y'all are right out there. There is no judgment. There is no condemnation awaiting those who are in Christ. This is the gospel that we preach. I'm going to actually read starting in verse 1. It's a good amount of reading, but uh, it's the Bible. John chapter 3, starting in verse 1, says, After dark, one, of, one evening, a Jewish religious leader named Nicodemus, a Pharisee, came to speak with Jesus. Teacher, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are proof enough that God is with you. Jesus replied, I assure you, unless you are born again, you can never see the kingdom of God. We've talked about that being born again. He says, what do you mean? Nicodemus exclaimed. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb to be born again? Jesus replied, the truth is, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. Excuse me. Verse six says humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives new life from heaven. See the difference? It says humans can reproduce life, but only the Holy Spirit can give new life from heaven. So don't be surprised at my statement that you must be born again. Just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it's coming from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. What do you mean, Nicodemus exclaimed? Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? I assure you, I am telling you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe us. But if you don't even believe me when I tell you about the things happening here on earth, how can you possibly believe if I tell you what's going on in heaven? For only I, the Son of Man, have come to earth and will return to heaven again. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so I, the Son of Man, must be lifted up on a pole, so that everyone who believes in me will have eternal life. Now, if you remember, that story was in Numbers chapter 21. Uh, we read that as we were walking through the books of the Bible, when God begin to punish the people, the children of Israel, and these serpents begin to bite the people, give them uh, poisonous serpents, and they were dying. And so Moses had to put this bronze serpent on a pole and lift it up. And if anybody looked uh, to the bronze serpent, then they were healed. Jesus says, in the same way that God was punishing those people, pouring out his wrath, if you look to me, you will be healed and spared God's judgment or punishment. This is what Jesus is communicating right here in this passage. Um, uh, then verse 16, which is the most popular verse in the Bible, it says, so Jesus already said, for only I, the son of man have come down in the same way that Moses had them look at a serpent. If you look to me, you'll be healed as well. You'll have eternal life. Jesus just said that verse 16. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Now, this is the most popular verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him, not work or do good enough or fix their life, but believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. 
That's the most popular verse in the Bible. But many people don't know the very next verse, which actually says, listen to this. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. God did not send his son into the world to judge it, but to save it. Jesus did not come to judge people. And while people are so afraid to come to Jesus, they don't want to deal with God. They know their sins are keeping them away. That's what they think. They need to clean up their life first. They don't understand that God so loved the world. He gave his only son. Whoever believes will have eternal life. And God did not send his son to judge people but to save them. Do you hear that? God did not. Why is there no judgment for believers? Because God didn't send his son to judge, but to save, to seek and save the lost. That's the mission that Jesus was on. Not to judge the lost, but to save them. Now, look at what it says right after verse 17. It says, God did not send his son into the world to judge it or condemn it, but to save it. Now, verse 18, he says, there is no judgment awaiting those who trust him. I almost want to. Are you are, are y'all still out there? God so loved the world. He gave his only son. Whoever believes shall not perish, have eternal life. God didn't send his son to judge the world, but to save it. And then. There is no judgment awaiting those who trust him. I'll read it again. There is no judgment awaiting those who trust him. The big question is, do you trust him? If you trust him, there is no judgment. There is no condemnation. There is no punishment. There is no wrath. There's none of that awaiting you. Read it again. There is no judgment awaiting those who trust in him. Here's the, here's the, that's the A side. Here's the B side. But those who do not trust him have already been judged. Why were they judged? For not believing in the only Son of God. You see that? Here's how this works. Jesus came to die for the sins of the world. So no matter who you are or what you have done, he's paid for your sins. Now, you have to receive that gift. You can't work for it. You have to receive it. And he's offering it to everybody. That's why me and you now through the power of the Holy Spirit live as witnesses to tell everybody, hey, God's not mad at you. For he so loved the world, he sent his son to die for your sins so that if you believe, you don't have to perish, but have eternal life. God didn't send his son to judge the world, but to save it. In fact, there's no judgment awaiting those who already believe. But... For those who don't believe, they're not accepting or receiving that Jesus died for their sins. Well, guess what? They've got to pay for their sins. So if you're in a courtroom and you're getting ready to be sentenced to the electric chair. And Jesus walks in the room and says, hey, I did it. I'm the one who committed that crime. 
I'm I'm the one who did those things. Now you have a choice. Either you let him take your place or you say no. If you say no, then you have to pay for those sins. If you say yes, you walk out of the courtroom, not guilty, no punishment. This is the gospel. That the whole world is guilty before God. Everybody is in the courtroom. That's why he's the judge. Everybody is on their way to hell. Everybody is getting cast away. No one is good. No one is righteous. No one is seeking him. No one has real understanding. Their talk is foul like the stench from an open grave. Misery. You want me to quote the whole thing? It, I mean, it's, we're not good enough. We're all on our way to hell. But Jesus comes and dies, says, hey, I, I, I did it. And he takes everybody's punishment. But you do have to accept it. It's a gift. You can reject a gift. If you reject a gift, now you're only left to pay for the sins yourself. So if we read it again in its context, listen, please, because not only do you need it for your soul every single day, you also have to share it with a world who does not know this truth. They know religion. They don't know the gospel. Here's what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him, who everyone who believes in him will not perish, that's hell, but have eternal life, live forever with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It says, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn it or judge it, but to save it. There is no judgment awaiting those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no double jeopardy. You've already been tried. You've already been on trial. You've already been considered innocent. You cannot be tried again. That's over with. There is no more judgment coming for believers. But those who do not trust in him have already been judged for not believing in the only son. Is it because they did wrong or they did bad or they committed sins? No, God's not punishing them for that. He's punishing them because they didn't accept what his son did because his son already took care of their sins. But if they don't receive it, now they are guilty of not believing. So they have to deal with their own sins. Verse 19 says their judgment is based on this fact. The light from heaven came into the world. But they love the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. They hate the light because they want to sin in the darkness. They stay away from the light for fear their sins will be exposed and they will be punished. But those who do what is right come to the light gladly so everyone can see that they are doing what God wants. I hope this is making sense. The most powerful verse in the Bible are the most well-known Right behind it, people don't realize that God did not send his son to judge people, but to save us. And there is no judgment awaiting those who already believe in Christ. Now, you hear me say this, there is no judgment. I need to explain that because something should be like, ah, that doesn't make sense. There's different types of judgments in the Bible. I'm really going to, there's a, we as believers will judge angels. The Bible tells us that. Uh, there's a judgment, I think, during the end times where God's separating the sheep and the goats. And you can read that in Matthew 25, I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, 25. There's different type of judgments. But the two main judgments, uh, one is called the judgment seat of Christ or the mercy seat of Christ, whatever you want to call it. 
bema seat of Christ, the, the, the judgment seat of Christ, and the white throne judgment. These are the two types of judgment that you're probably thinking about. Or maybe you confuse them or mix them up. The Bible talks about two. The first one is the judgment seat of Christ. Now, this is a judgment for believers, not for unbelievers. Okay, we'll talk about that one in a minute. The big judgment that we all are afraid of, we'll talk, we'll get there. The first one is judgment for believers, but it's not to determine whether or not a person gets into heaven or not. Remember, salvation is a gift so that nobody can boast. If God's going to look at your works to determine whether or not you get in, then you also could boast if you got in. That's never going to happen. Salvation is a gift. It's based on what Jesus did and our faith and what he did. Okay, it's not that's what salvation is. So if God's going to judge you for what you did, then there was no need for Jesus to die. That's actually what Paul talks about in the book of Galatians. If we can be saved, there's anything that we can do to be saved, then Jesus wouldn't have died. He died because there's nothing that we can do. So God cannot judge us on what we did because there's nothing we can do. Hope that makes sense. But I want to show you this. So let's see what I got here. Where do I want to go first? Um, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is our first one. I'm getting pressed for time, but 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, uh, let's start in verse 10 for the sake of time. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10 tells us, For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will... And this is part of why we say, wait, I thought you said there's no judgment, Pastor T. Let me try to explain. It says, for we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or the evil we have done in our bodies. Now, what God is talking about, I've already explained this, is this judgment seat of Christ, where God will judge believers not to determine whether or not they get into heaven, but to determine what type of rewards they will receive. So salvation is a gift. We get into heaven by our faith in Jesus. Now, the rewards we receive is based on what we do down here, whether good or bad. That's how that works. So when you think about, uh, I think about like uh, uh, Simone Biles or you know Gabby Douglas or something watching the Olympics, which would be taking place this year. Uh, if it wasn't for what's going on and you know you if you watch the olympics you watch them on that bar or whatever they're on and they're flipping 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 boom and then what do we all do we look to see what score they receive and they have people who are sitting there doing what judging the performance it's not to determine if they go to jail or if they go to hell or get beat up it's to determine what type of reward they will receive will they place gold or silver, or bronze, or even place. They're being judged on their performance to determine what type of reward they should get. Not type of punishment, but that's a judgment as well. 
And that's the type of judgment that Christians will receive at the judgment seat of Christ, where we will be judged to determine what type of works we will receive. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. Try to bring it home a little bit more. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is where we're going. Um, for the sake of time, I'm going to start in verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 12, says, Now anyone who builds on the foundation may use gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. The foundation he's talking about is Christ being laid as a foundation. Anyone can build on that, the works you do in your life, your ministry, your service, how you live for God. Verse 13, he says, But there is going to come a time of testing at the judgment day. He's talking about Christians living for Jesus, right? But there's going to come a time of testing. When? At the judgment day. To see what kind of work each builder has done. God's going to be judging to see what you've done. Just like Gabby Douglas, Simone Biles is getting judged. Our work will be judged too. And it says when? At judgment day. Everyone's work will be put through the fire to see whether or not it keeps its value. If the work survives the fire, the builders will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builders themselves will be saved, but like someone escaping through a wall of flames. Is it, is it getting clearer? So on the judgment day, which is what we've all heard all of our lives and been afraid of, Christians are going to be judged. Their works are going to be judged to determine what type of rewards they will be get, they will receive but the workers themselves will be saved. But if their work doesn't last, if you didn't do it with the right motivation, if you were doing it for yourself, your own glory, I mean, you didn't do anything, I don't know, you'll suffer a great loss, but you will suffer that loss in eternity with the King of Kings. This is what the Bible is trying to tell us. Um, the rewards, we, the Bible talks about crowns. Uh, let's look at a couple of those. In 2 Timothy Again, I will come back next week and try to try to bring it all together a little bit more. 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse. Let's start in verse 6. Paul is at the end of his life. Uh, and look at what he says. 2 Timothy um, chapter 4, verse 6. He says, As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. Should say drink offering. If you were with us as in our Old Testament study, remember that there was a wine poured out, a drink offering. Uh, when you gave offerings, and we talked all about what that means and the significance. Well, Paul is talking about that here. My life has already been poured out as a drink offering. He says, the time of my death is near. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. Verse 8. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness that the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that great day of his return. And the prize is not for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to this glorious return 
that's what it is. It's actually uh, the word um, epiphania, which is uh, emperor in Rome appearing and coming out when they clean up the streets. and Kind of like when Jesus came through on the donkey and they were getting ready for that. It's going to say Jesus is going to do that appearing again. He's going to uh, show up again and everybody's going to, oh, my gosh, get ready for that. But Paul is saying, on that day, I'll get my crown. I'll get my reward because I've been faithful and I've ran my race. And he says, it's not just for me, but you'll get a reward too. You'll get a crown. But Corinthians told us it's going to be tested if you did it for the Lord or not, because only what you do for the Lord will last. Otherwise, that thing will destroy and you won't get anything. You'll suffer great loss. But you yourself will be saved because salvation is not based on your works. It's based on your faith. But your rewards are based on what you do, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Okay, I'm hoping this is making sense. Let's do one or two more. Let's go to the book of James. The book of James, chapter 1, is where I'm going to go. James, chapter 1, verse 12. James 1, 12. James 1, 12 says, God blesses the people who patiently endure testing. Afterward, they will receive the crown, there it is, of life that God has promised to those who love him. See this idea of crown? Talked about the rewards that are coming. You see these people, James and Paul and others talking about the crowns, the rewards that we receive for our works. Not for not for salvation, but for what we did after we were saved. And then the book of uh, Revelation is another one we could go to. Let's go to Revelation chapter 2. I know we're running out of time, but Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, Revelation 2:10. Revelation 2:10 says, Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison and put you to the test. You will be persecuted for 10 days. Remain faithful even when facing death, and I will give you the crown of life. There it is again. And even in Revelation 3, Revelation 3.11, this will be the last one we'll do because I need to jump to the other uh, other judgment. Revelation 3.11 tells us, look, I am coming quickly. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. Uh, you can go through and do, the, do that all over the Bible. I'm trying to show you that there's two judgments. There is a judgment seat of Christ's judgment that will take place for believers. And we will be judged like an athletic performance to determine what type of rewards we will receive. What type of rewards we will receive. Not whether or not we will get into heaven, because that's based on our faith in Jesus. Salvation is not a reward for the good you have done, so none of us can boast in it. It's a gift from God. Did you receive that gift? Now, when you get in, what rewards you get, there is a judgment to determine what those rewards look like. Now, for some of you, you might be wondering, but God does judge and God does punish and God does do stuff. Yeah, you're probably talking about, let's go to the book of Hebrews. Let's go to Hebrews 12. I don't know how many of these I'll do because of time, but Hebrews 12. twelve five is where we'll start. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews Chapter 12, verse 5 says, And have you entirely forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you, his children? He said, My child, don't ignore it when the Lord disciplines you. 
notice. It's not a judgment at the end to determine whether or not you get into heaven. Uh, there's no judgment like that for believers. Remember Roman, I mean, John 3, 17 and 18 says there's no judgment awaiting believers. God's already judged. He poured out his wrath on Jesus. There's no judgment for us. He judges to determine what type of rewards, but he does discipline. There's divine discipline that comes from our heavenly father. That's what you might be thinking about, but don't confuse that with end time judgment to determine if we get into heaven. That's not a thing for believers. That would be workspace. He says, my child, don't ignore it when the Lord disciplines you. Don't be discouraged when he corrects you, for the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes those he accepts as his children. They're already his children. He says, as you endure divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who was never disciplined? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children after all. Since we respect our earthly fathers who disciplined us, should we not all the more cheerfully submit to the discipline of our heavenly father and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always right and good for us because it means we will share in his holiness. There it is again. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It is painful. But afterward, there will be a great harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So there is a thing called divine uh, discipline. Um, and it's God's way of straightening straightening out his children. That's not judgment to determine whether or not we get into heaven. Uh, let's do a couple of more. Uh, Got to go fast. First Corinthians is where we're going to go. Where am I? First Corinthians uh, 11. First Corinthians, what is it? 11.32. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 32 says, But when we are judged and disciplined by the Lord, we will not be condemned with the world. Remember, I told you the world's already going to get they've already been judged. That's already taken place because they haven't believed in Jesus and his work on the cross. Uh, it's totally different for us um, as believers. And even Revelation uh, 319 talks about I'm not going to go there. It talks about God coming to to uh, basically discipline his children. There is divine discipline. That's different from uh, where we're going to close right now in Revelation chapter 20. We'll close with this because we are out of time. But Revelation chapter 20, I will show you the big, bad, scary judgment that everybody thinks about is probably confusing for believers. So here's what tonight's message is all about. As you turn into Revelation 20, I want you to understand that there's a difference between religion and the gospel. Religion is man's attempt, human's attempt to get to God. The gospel is about God's coming down to the earth to be with us and then to give us the power to take us back up the mountain. Religion and the gospel, not the same. Also want to understand, since Jesus has done the work for us, if you are in Christ, there's no condemnation. There's no judgment for believers. You might be like, well, huh? And that's why you see in the Bible, like Romans 6 and other places, people saying, well, if I don't have to obey the law and there's no judgment, so can I just do whatever I want to do? And Paul says many times, absolutely not. Or have you forgotten that we died with Jesus to be resurrected with the spirit to live like God's children? Holy. 
why would you try to trample in the blood of the son and make a mockery of what he's done for you? He's died to deliver you from that sin. Why go now indulge in it because you think you're not going to be punished from it? Don't misunderstand. God still disciplines his children. Yes, he absolutely does. There's a difference between discipline and judgment to determine whether or not you get into heaven or hell. So the first one was the, the judgment seat of Christ which Christ will judge believers to determine what type of rewards they will receive based on the works that they have done. Then there is a great white throne judgment. And that's the judgment that most people are thinking about when they say God's going to judge you. That's for unbelievers. And let's read about it. And this will be our last. We'll close with this tonight. Revelation chapter 20, starting in verse 11. Revelation chapter 20. Starting in verse 11, it says, And I saw a great white throne, and I saw the one who was sitting on it. The earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. It already sounds like a bad, that's a bad movie to open into, right? God's sitting on the throne. People are trying to hide from him, and they have nowhere to go. So verse 12 tells us, I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books, multiple books, the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to the things written in the books, according to what they had done. Verse 13, the sea gave up the dead in it, and death and the grave gave up the dead in them. They were all judged according to their deeds. And death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Verse 15, here we go. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So a great white throne judgment. God is judging the dead. He's bringing them up to come and be judged. Now, already, you should understand that as the church, we will already have been raptured and we will already be with Jesus. Okay? But maybe you're still thinking there's a judgment coming. But notice, verse 15 says, Anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So if your name is in the book of life, there's no way you're going to hell or being judge to the lake of fire if your book is in your name is in the book of life now your name is written in the book of life with a permanent marker the moment you believe that you are a sinner and you should be punished with eternal punishment but that jesus took your punishment when you believe that god writes your name in that book how do you get into heaven grace through faith believing in what jesus has done is there judgment for Christians? Absolutely. The judgment is to determine what type of rewards you will receive. Not whether or not you will get into heaven, what type of rewards you will receive. We read all those scriptures about the crowns and the rewards. The judgment here, that's the, that's the judgment seat of Christ. This is the great white throne judgment for unbelievers, people whose names are not written in the book of life. They will be judged and notice them, death, Satan, Everything is getting cast into the lake of fire. You won't be there because your name is written in the book of life. That judgment that everybody's afraid of does not apply to believers. Okay? 
God's not going to be looking in the book to look at your life and your works. He's going to be looking, did you believe, is it written in the book of life? It's called book of life because you already have life and it's written in there. So today's message was very simple. There is no judgment for those who are in Christ. Most popular verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever will believe shall not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17, which we don't know, God didn't send his son into the world to judge it, but to save it. Verse 18, for there is no judgment in those who are in Christ, but those who aren't have already been judged. So we've got a message to tell the whole world. God did not send Jesus to judge you, but to save you. And for every wrong you've ever done, you can be forgiven. Your slate can be wiped clean. Clean. Romans 3 told us that no matter who you are or what you have done, you can be forgiven. In fact, it's as if you already are forgiven. He died for your sins already. Will you receive it? That's what we want to tell people who don't know the gospel and only know religion, who are trying to work and earn their acceptance. And if you are a believer today, guess what? When you stumble and fall, Romans 8, 1 tells you there is no condemnation. Never as an excuse to sin because we don't, we don't want to take advantage or abuse the blood of the son of the lamb. Also, we know that there is discipline for God's children. Absolutely. He will discipline you um, for that. But the judgment we receive is to determine what type of reward we receive, not whether or not we get into heaven. That's the difference between the gospel and religion. I hope that you are encouraged tonight because for you, as you stumble and fall, know that God's already forgiven you. And so since he's already forgiven you, that also means you've got the power to overcome, that the spirit is living inside of you. Otherwise, you wouldn't be forgiven, that you don't have to struggle with that, that you can run to God and first acknowledge that this is why you need a savior, that this is why Jesus had to die. But he gave you the power to overcome it and begin to ask for God's help, reach out for accountability partners. But don't let the shame and guilt and condemnation beat you up and let the, the devil use that against you to make you think, oh, you're not good enough. God doesn't love you. No, no, no. God, when I wasn't good enough, God loved me enough to send his son. So, of course, he loves me now that he sees me as holy and blameless and righteous. And now I've got the power to be and to do. Once we get that settled and we remind ourselves of that every single day, all day, we also take it and share with a world who thinks God's mad at them and wants to punish them. No, he sent his son to save you. And you can be saved no matter who you are or what you have done. That's the difference between religion and the gospel. Guys, thanks for letting me uh, come back and share tonight. I know I didn't, I said I would be off, but um, I might have to miss Monday, depending on what me and my wife do. Our anniversary is on Friday, and I didn't want to take three days off, so I chose to come on tonight. Thanks for stopping by and hanging out. Let's pray before we wrap it up. Father, thank you so much for this incredible news, this, this good news, this gospel message that you have sent your son to pay for our debt that we could not pay and to give us the power we need to live like your children after we've been given access back to the Father. God, we thank you so much for this incredible work that you have done.
And I pray that those online tonight would hear and receive that the, the seeds that were planted would take root and would grow 30, 60, even 100 times fold. And that it wouldn't just be for them, Lord, but that they would share this gospel message with so many people who think that you are mad and don't understand that you've already poured out your wrath on your son and that you sent him not to judge, but to save. And if we would receive you now, this time around, we don't have to worry when he comes back to receive those who are his, but then to judge those who aren't. So help us to see the ministries you've given us to share this truth everywhere we go, that we might draw people to yourself. Keep and protect us. Help us to stay centered on the gospel and not to, to drift away from the truth that has been uh, poured out into our hearts. And we thank you for this incredible gospel message that you have been at work in in the world and the way it's impacted us. And we pray, Lord, that it would continue to go forth as the harvest is so plenteous during this season. Help us to share this that we might bring in more souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Thanks so much for hanging out tonight. Thank you, Summerlin. Good to see you. Michelle, thank you. Happy, thank you. Jonathan, what a glorious gospel it is, my brother. Hey, Janelle, good to see you. Ben, lovely Karen. Hey, Mom, how you doing? Good to see you on here. Send me a message. I haven't seen you in forever. I talked to you. I'm glad you made it tonight. I need to record that and play on repeat. <laughs> uh, happy, I, you know that Michelle's got it on a couple different platforms. You can play it on Spotify. I think you're already doing that and download the notes or whatever you need to do. Kev, good to see you, man. Glad you made it tonight. Miss Chapman, good to see you. I think I got everybody. Art, good to see you. Mike. Okay, now I think I got everybody. Okay, family. Uh, I will maybe see you guys on uh, Monday. Like I said, this Friday is my 10-year anniversary. Look at God has kept my wife and I for 10 good years. Doesn't feel like 10 years at all. Um, so we might do something this weekend. I, I'm not sure. But if we do, I wanted to teach tonight. So in case I have to miss uh, Monday, I will see you maybe on Monday. All right. God bless you guys. Have a good one.